0: everyone would come on in, we'll get started, can everyone hear me, I don't think so, Give me up a little bit, yeah, there we go, yeah, Helen's <laughs> muting me back there, you probably wish she, she had a mute button in real life, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know it. All right, let's let's uh, let's get started with a word of prayer, and, and then we'll get into into class. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many blessings you give us, and we thank you for the freedom and the opportunity we have to come and, and study your word, to, to learn more about you, to worship you, Lord, and, and to take what we learn and, and use it to bring others to you, Lord. I just ask that you be with us as we go through this class, and Continue to learn on, on studying your word and, and how to apply it to our lives, and, and use it in our everyday lives. Just ask you to be with all those who are on a prayer list, who are sick and, and need your and need our prayers and need you, Christ, Lord. And just Christ, let me pray. Amen. All right, so since everyone liked it, I'm going to keep doing the uh, the, the outlines um, that we got going. Joe, you mind? Did you say you didn't like it? <laughs> oh oh look okay. them pass those out Alright, So we're, we're going cont- we're continuing this in this, this study of why, the why we believe what we believe. Um, and like I said last week, it's, it's kind of gone from, from a statement, more of a statement to more of a question. And it's just because as we as we're reviewing things and as we study, I thought it was important to kind of go back and look at how we kind of come up with with some of the things we come up with and, and some of the doctrine that we look at. And so, We're going to look at that, and, and if you didn't get a chance to last week, uh, or if you weren't here, if you didn't see it online, I know we had a little bit of, of a hiccup on a, on our uh, Facebook side uh, last week. If you didn't get a chance, go back and watch that. Um, you know, at, not right now, but in <laughs> um, and, in and to review for you. Know, so, I want to go over real quick uh, to kind of review uh, what we looked at uh, last week. Uh, we kind of looked at the some some of the four basic principles of. of how the restoration movement in the Church of Christ has, has used um, or methods that we've used to interpret Scripture or, or come up with with areas of, of our, our doctrine. And, and the four of those were the, the pattern and blueprint principle, with, which basically is looking for a, a blueprint in the Bible for how the church should, should do things. The law of silence and silence of Scripture, where basically if it wasn't in there or if it wasn't spoken about, then it wasn't authorized. Um, the commands, examples, and necessary inference, that one's a little more common. Um, obviously, all your commands you're going to follow that, that you have in there for the most part. Um, we use examples and, and follow examples. And then the necessary inference part is where we're not 100% sure. We try to figure, you know, we kind of use some deductive reasoning to, to figure it out and and have those, you know, kind of become some of the things that we follow. And then the other one I talked about where sometimes we use, is what's called proof texting. And, and and for the most part, that usually has a negative connotation. It's not something you really want to rely on heavily because it's easy to nitpick verses out of the Bible and kind of make them say things that you want them to say versus using the, the Bible uh, as a text or as a whole. So those are kind of the the examples in what we looked at. And one of the things that, and again, this a lot of these are not used actually um, in just the Church of Christ. If you actually look, um, because of the Alexander Campbells and 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 Stone's background, they were actually uh, Presbyterian ministers, and so a lot of what we what we pull out and, and use in this context actually a lot of it's using the Presbyterian Church as well, and so it's not just a, a a church of Christ thing. Or we're not the only ones who use it. I mean, the commands, examples, and necessary inferences is a common theme in in most. What well, we would say denominations are most a lot of study of Scripture and, and how it's used, but one of the things that if if you're not careful, um, is that it becomes overly complicated, or can become overly complicated, which we saw last week. What? I have oh, I'm sorry, I didn't even see your hand up. I'm Helen's pointing at me. I'm like, why is Helen pointing at me? I was like, okay, go ahead. Sorry. Like what? <laughs> Yeah, and that, and honestly, that's part of the reason why I shifted this class the way I did. Because as I was going through the why we believe what we believe, a lot of people were like, "Well, I really don't know how we get to that. I don't, you know." And, and a lot of it was, "Well, I've always been taught that way. My my grandparents taught me that. My parents taught me that. And so I just, you know, I just believe it." And so that, we, and that's kind of partly too why I went through the the how to study scripture and how to how to dive a little bit deeper. Because that's one of the things I think we, we have missed on. You know, we've got we're really good at memorizing scripture and, and knowing what the, some of the scriptures say, but we don't know why they say what they say. And, and and a lot of times we don't understand the context and the why you go so deep in and study the, the scripture and understand all the context behind it, who it was written to, why it was written to them, and and, and those type of things. So I think that's part of this is a good reason why we're we're going through that is because. A lot of people did say, well, I don't really know why I believe this. It's just because I've always been taught this, and so I just believe it. And like you said, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's, you, you need to understand why you believe something, not just because my, my parents or grandparents said so. And so as we as we look through a lot of the things, and, and I used examples last week of, of how, depending on how you stick with this, and again, I, and I'll, I'll follow up on this, those aren't necessarily good. Bad ways of interpreting Scripture, but how you use them sometimes can make them overly complicated. One of the things we looked at is how Pharisaic and legalistic that they could, can become, especially if you get into the the silence of the Scripture. If you take that literally to a, to a, to a, an extreme measure, then honestly, we we'd have to go back and, and live almost like the Amish, because there's a lot of things in the Bible that are not that are that we have today. I'm sorry, there's a lot of things we have today that are not mentioned in the Bible. And so if you, if you took that to the line that it talks about, then, then we... Have to, so we've got to be careful with how that... But a lot of times when, when you look at this, when you look at these, these messages, it becomes almost, I guess, lawyer... I guess it's legalistic, but, but it's almost like a, a law, like a... We, we, over, we overlook the entire actual message of God and, and, and the message of the Bible and what's in it sometimes... We try to we try to make sure we do all the little things right, that we actually miss the entire meaning of the Bible and, and, and its messages. So we're going to look at that a little bit, and, I, and I'm going to push something else uh, as we we get into this because we're going to look at a, a, what I think is a more biblical method of interpreting Scripture, um, and it's used by Paul that we're that we're going to look at. But the one thing that uh, us in the church is, we always say we want to be the what. The New Testament or the first century church? Well, my argument's going to be is that we don't need to be, nor should we try to be, the first century church. Meaning, if we look at the first century, it was completely different from a, from a context standard. I mean, you cannot take what the first century church was going through and compare it to what we go through today. I mean, it's night and day, completely different. They, they were a different culture. They were different customs. Basically, the only thing that was really—if you—if you take the two—the only thing that's the same or similar is the sins. right? It was a sinful world there. We're in a sinful world now. I mean, none of that's changed. And so, when I say we don't need—or nor should we try to be the first-century church—it doesn't mean that we don't try to follow their examples and see some of the things, you know, and follow some of the things that they did. But my thing is, the first-century church was the first-century church for the first century, and I think we should be. The church for the 21st century, and what I mean, and we're going to look at some of that a little bit. And what I mean by that, again, is it doesn't mean we don't go back and, and we look at at the examples and and the things that Paul taught about, and when the things to say. It doesn't mean we don't do some of those things, but I don't think we can go back and properly be, and mimic the first century church, and be truly, I guess, have a real good influence or or valid to the 21st century, because people aren't going to be able to connect with that. And so and we'll see a little bit what, I, what I'm talking about as I go through this. Again, it doesn't mean that we don't try to follow their examples. It just means that we should try to be relevant to the century that we're in. And I think sometimes we focus so much on the first century that we forget the, the century that we're actually in and who we should reach and how to reach them there. And so we'll, we'll look at a little bit of that. And, and I use the text here for that as 1 Corinthians nine twenty through 23. And this is where Paul's talking about, you know, how he becomes, who he becomes depending on who he is actually speaking to. And so if you look at 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 23, he says, When I was with the Jews, I lived like the Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under the law, even though I am not subject to the law. I did this so I could bring to, to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I uh, too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. And, and we should I think we should do the same thing. I think we should be who we need to be for the 21st century, right? The 21st century that we live in. If we're going to reach them, then we need to be the, the, the people that we, who can go out and, and, and be relevant to the people in the 21st century. And, and, and so that's, you know, when I say that, that's, that's what I mean. I'm not Again, I I want us to get away from focusing so much on the past that we we forget to to follow and and watch what we're looking at here. And then he continues on. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ, yet I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. The New American Center says I become all things to all men so that I can save some. And, And I think that's what we need to kind of focus on. And then lastly, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. So we need to be the 21st century church. Again, it doesn't mean that we don't follow the examples of the first century church or what we call the New Testament church. But it's going to look different. And we already see that. I mean, obviously, if we, we talked about this last week, if we followed strictly what the, the first century church looked like, We'd meet in homes, we wouldn't have buildings, we, you know, it, it would, we'd meet more on, on more of a daily basis. We'd still meet on the first day of the week, but you know, that would look completely different than what it does today. And, and, and so we need to, I think, continue in that adaptation uh, of becoming who we need to be for the 21st century, not just what the first century was. And, and the theme around that becomes, and, and I think you see this in Paul's, uh, a lot of Paul's letters and, and his writings, is that the mission is more important than the method what you're doing who you're trying to reach is more important a lot of times than than the methods or the little laws or the little rules that you come up with or the traditions that you come up with that aren't necessarily 100% that that we can see commands but more things that we've kind of adapted or or inferred into to become and we saw that last week where we we talk about you know, sometimes we turn things that aren't necessarily commands or doctrine, but we turn them into that sometimes. And so we just need to be careful with that and, and make sure that we're focusing on the mission, making it more important than what the method is. And and uh, I was reading one of the things um, that Thomas Campbell wrote, and, and I thought it was... If you understand the history of the, new, of the restoration movement, its first hundred years looks... Com- looks completely different than the last 100 years. Their, their goal and their mission was actually a, a goal of unity, to, to bring people, to bring all the different churches together almost under one umbrella, and to kind of to get the core doctrines, some really core stuff together, but the stuff that was kind of a, what, we, what we called about necessary infer, inference last week to say, you know what, we can agree to disagree on some of these things. And so he wrote this, and, and I'm going to try to read it. They wrote a lot differently than we do now. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they also wrote a lot with the, the what they, more of the, the Queen's type English, because they were from England. So he says that although inferences and deductions may, ah, deductions from scripture premises, which fairly inferred may be truly called the doctrine of God's holy word, Yet they are not formally binding upon the conscience of Christians farther than they're, they're, they perceive the connection and evidently see that they are so. For the faith must not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power and veracity of God. Therefore, no such deductions can be made terms of communion, meaning fellowship, but do properly belong to the after and progressive edification of the church. Hence it is evident that no such deductions or enter inferential truths ought to have any place in the church's confession and so what he was basically saying is, is these things that are basically a, a, an inference that we' we're, we're, we're they're not we don't see them hundred clear but this is the best we can come up with that we shouldn't use those not to commune with or 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 work with other churches and, and we've kind of completely gone the opposite way basically now in a lot of the churches is if you don't believe this 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 and this we're not going to have anything to do with you and so he, they, were, they were trying to bring those churches together to do this. And this wasn't just churches of Christ. In fact, if you look at the history there, the, the Baptist church and the, and the Christian church, or the disciples of Christ, which they called themselves, actually met in the same buildings for a long time. And then his last question was, was, should inferences, even when fairly discerned, draw a line of fellowship between Christians? So meaning if the church down the road believes something different than me, should I not have anything to do with them, or should we actually try to... Maybe find common ground.
1: The answer to that is no. Yeah. In my mind, and for this reason, because every now, when you've got a clear scripture, "Thus saith the Lord." Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing. Yeah. But an inference, who's who's making the inference or the inference, as we would say, a sinful man. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, and so, I may sincerely infer something that. Differently. And we're both human. Yep. And it's not a it's not an absolute thus saith the Lord. So, so I don't see how fairly we can draw lines of fellowship when I infer something as a weak human being and somebody else does. Um I think that makes you fair see it to yes. assist
0: that. And, and like I talked about last week, I mean, not only do we do that between other denominations. And there's some just like you talk about. There's some justification there, right? Um, but a lot of times it's, there's, there's, it's more inference. And then also we find that not only in, in between that, but we find that between the churches of Christ themselves, right? We have churches of Christ who, who have said you're not to do any have anything to do with that church of Christ over down the road because of some of the things that they believe. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, yeah. and get along. And so if you isolate yourself from that, then I think you, uh, you are in direct, direct uh, conflict with yourself. I, I agree with that. When we lived in Kansas, and this may have been what Dad was... Yeah. The, yeah. When we lived in Kansas, <clears throat> all the churches there, they had a ministerial alliance. All the churches there got together, the preachers got together, was it once a month? Yeah. Uh, once a month. And then the other thing they would do is all the different churches would have a... a, a a community, or or a uh, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving citywide Thanksgiving service, and it would rotate through each church every year. And, and you know, I remember we went to the Catholic church. I remember going to the Presbyterian church, and, and having these events at those. And and, and everyone respected everyone's beliefs. You know, I, when we had ours in, in the um, at, at the church there, everyone sang a cappella because that, that was our belief, and so and they loved it. yeah. And
1: so it But I did make some good inroads with some folks because, like Ralph said, I was willing to fellowship yep. with them, talk with them, and discuss
0: that. And I and I think that's the opportunity we miss missed when we when we when we do that. Yeah, we can't even do that with some of the local <laughs> Yeah, we can't do that among ourselves sometimes, right? We miss that opportunity of being able to reach out and, and and maybe have decent conversations with with other with other other belief systems than ours. Of why do we believe what we believe? And explain to them because what ha- here's what happens, and, and I, I see this all the time. We believe that the Baptists down the road believe a certain thing, when, I, when a lot of times it's not true, because I've heard, you know, I mean, even me and Helen, I have those conversations. It's like, well, the Baptists, they, they all believe this. And it's like, well, she's like, well, I was raised Baptist, and, and I can tell you we don't believe that, you know. And, and the same thing, the Baptists down the road thinks, well, the Church of Christ, they think they're the only ones going to heaven, right? Now, there was some merit to that at one time, but but, but we know that we understand that. We don't, we don't really believe that we are the only ones. You've got to be in this building if you don't go in this building. Then you're the only ones going to heaven. I hope not, All right? And so that's what happens. It, it becomes a big assumption, right? Back and forth when you don't associate with one another. But what happens if you associate? You can clear those type of things up, right? I mean, even that's almost that's to a biblical core. What does God? What does the Bible say? If you have something against a brother, what are you supposed to do? Go to the elder and talk bad about them? No, right? Go brother to brother, right? And and sister to sister, and brother to sister, and 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 vice versa. And so if, if it's at the basic level we're supposed to do that, then, then shouldn't we do that as churches as well? And, and so that that's kind of the, some of the information that that I, I was getting to. So go ahead. Yeah. One
1: example of that, you know, when we were in Kansas, we
0: allowed the Mennonite group mm-hmm. to meet in our building,
1: uh, what was it, they met once a month Yeah. sit down and study with a
0: lot of them. And we found out we had a heap more in common than previously. Yeah, yeah. Because, again, it becomes, if you don't know, if you don't sit down and talk with someone, then it just becomes an assumption. And you know what happens when you assume, right? All right, so... That that kind of was a long review because we're halfway through class. But I wanted to, to follow through on that to see, you know, why... Sometimes that is not the best way. I just don't think sometimes that's the best way. So here's, here's where I'm going to go into, and that is searching or seeking the heart or the grace of God. And I believe if you, if you look at this from, from a high, I think, excuse me, Apostle Paul did this. If you look at Paul's writings, and we're going to go through a lot of it next week, but I'm going to use one example this week. If you look at Paul's writings, he always went to God he was, it was what would God do or he went to what would Christ do it, almost every single time and, and, and if you look at his writings there's a reference to to God there's a reference to 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 Jesus and or he follows up one he starts with one and goes into there and so we're gonna look at that and what I like about the Apostle Paul there are several reasons one he wasn't one of the original apostles, so there's one of the, we can kinda relate to Paul more than than the apostles because the apostles got to spend a long time with Jesus so, he didn't get to spend much time with him. So, again, I know a lot of people are like, well, his, and I, I got that as my last point, he was inspired, he was, you know, and, and yes, but still we can relate more to Paul than we can a lot of the apostles. If you also look at, at Paul, he also wrote 14 of the 27 books that were in the New Testament. So, he, he, is, he is by far, you know, the kind of the, the, the key person to go to when it comes to literature and what he knew and what he understood. Um, and we're going to look a little bit Uh, of who he was so but like us he has to use scripture to go and actually find some of the best practices and one of the things um don't know if I have it in here on the notes Um, let me see I I don't know if I do I may be getting ahead of myself but Paul actually studied under Gamaliel thank you and Gamaliel was it's been considered especially in in Jewish texts, probably the foremost scholar when it came to the old testament and jewish law uh, of all their history and so paul studied under him and so paul knew the old testament and so that's what that's what we're going to look at so paul's method and if you look at paul's method he did not appeal to a prescribed pattern he didn't say well this is the pattern that we need to follow he didn't he didn't use a blueprint method all right he didn't use he primarily used the idea of going through god's own identity and action If you look at a lot of the things that Paul wrote about, he would look at and say, well, this is what God did. Or this is what Jesus did. We need to be like them, and we need to mirror that. And so we're going to look at that. And so Paul didn't command or expect conformity to a blueprint, but called his readers to confirm the gospel message of Christ. And if you look at it, we're going to look at that, and we'll we'll dive into it a little bit further, further next week. So Paul's use of Scripture. And, I, and I'm going to go to what he wrote about about his own scripture in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. He says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to every good work. Now, a lot of times we take that verse and we apply it to the New Testament, and that's not wrong, all right? Because again, that's the New Testament is Scripture. But what Scripture is Paul talking about here?
1: Mostly it was Old Testament; the New was being. Written,
0: yeah. While he wrote yep. But he says all Scripture. Yeah, all, all Scripture. But but when, when I, what my the emphasis I want to make is when he's writing this to the his particular audience that he, that he's writing it to at the time, he is referring to the Old Testament. Does anyone know? Well, it's in there, and this is why this is part of the reason. Maybe it's some of these things I'm not going to put in there on my notes. One third of the New Testament either contains quotations from the Old Testament or is a reference to the Old Testament. And most of those come from, uh, um, a lot of them, most of them come from Paul's letters. And actually, what's interesting in this, and you'll figure out how this statistic works, um, Revelations actually is 150%. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. 150%, they're like, well, how can it be more than 100? Because there are several verses that actually reference more than one verse in the New, in the Old Testament. So it's a kind of interesting. When I was first reading it, I'm like, well, how can 150% of Revelations you know, be Old Testament? But if you actually look at the, the number of verses and how they reference, one verse will actually reference sometimes three or four different uh, Old Testament verses. But I say this to say, you know, because a lot of times in the church, we put Old Testament as a more of a history instead of something we actually should look at for 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 everyday life. And I'll use an example of how we do this sometimes. I, I was reading some through some of our our beliefs and studying, you know, does it does anyone know why we kind of we like the blueprint doctrine so much? I don't know if I have this in. I don't think I have my this in my notes. So this this is good. What verse in the Old Testament do we actually use to validate using the blueprint method? No, the not offering up uh, strange worship or or different worship, right? Anyone familiar? Why we? So we use Leviticus ten which was, uh, and I, I'm going to probably butcher their name, was Nadab and, and Ab- Abu, I don't know how I you say, Abayu, thank you. All right, so they offered up strange fire to the Lord, and what did he, what did he do? <laughs> he struck them down, right? And so we'll use that as to why, well, if we don't follow the same rules or the same blueprint, then God might do the, or be displeased with what we're doing, right? And again, I'm not saying we just do all kind of crazy things. But we go back to the Old Testament to justify some of the things that we follow. But why don't we use a musical instruments? And again, I'm not advocating using, using them. I'm going to use it as an example. Why don't we use musical instruments in the in the in the church? In the There's zero reference in, to them in the New Testament, right? And there
1: and there is reference as to how
0: they sing. Yeah. Yep. So again, would be what we we call it like following an example. Yeah. Jesus and His apostles sang a song they sang a song. Yeah, I mean, so we see that example. There's no, ex, I guess there's no exclusive commands around it, but we use what was said and what. Was said. But what does Psalms 150 tell us to do? <laughs> again, I, I'm not advocating right. So this, if Dad does it, we're okay? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I understand. So, I, and I know I'm going to make some people uncomfortable with this, but, but I want to use it as an example of, of where this can get to and how it can get complicated, right? So we said, well, we can't go back to the Old Testament because that's the Old Testament. But we'll use the Old Testament as to why we interpret Scripture the way we do. And so it kind of goes, but then, and then again, and this is, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a point, so again, I'm not advocating certain things. When we talk about drinking alcohol, we'll say, well, it says not to be drink much wine. And a lot of people, and this is not a lot of our writings, well, that doesn't mean that you can drink some alcohol, because if you go back to Deuteronomy, or I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes 7.17, it says not to be a part of much wickedness. So it really means not to drink it at all. And so you, you see what I'm saying is, a lot of times we'll go back to the Old Testament when it's convenient for us, but other times we'll ignore the Old Testament when it's not convenient for us. And, and we all do this. And I, this isn't just the Church of Christ. We, we all do this. We all do this in a lot of interpretation. And I think I got Steve confused. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and so, yeah. And so it, 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 it's a very good reference, and this is this is where I'm going to get to. But I want to make sure, some, because sometimes we will lock down the Old Testament as something we can't use because it's not the New Testament. And I want to make sure that we, we don't do that and that it is a good teacher. And what I'm going to show, and i am got 15 minutes, we'll try to get through all these. Yes.
1: But yeah. practice which are no longer, you know, amenable to the Christian today. Yeah. And and then we ignore some things that maybe we shouldn't ignore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and that's kinda where, where I was trying to get it is again, this is this is not an easy process. I think sometimes people think that the reading and interpretation of scripture and applying it to us is just really, really simple. And a lot of times, now, some things like, when it comes to salvation, God did not, you know, make that vague at all. He is very clear on how that works and and, and other things he didn't make clear. And I think it's for good reason. And a lot of it, I think, is because I think in the end, those aren't the things that are that important to him. And so... Look at it. But that that's what I wanted to, you know, make sure. But I wanted to show where, where Paul does this, and we'll, and we'll go through. So I'm going to use giving because giving is a simple, pretty simple command, right? Sometimes we say, well, we are commanded to give on the first day of the week. Other times we just say we're, we're commanded to give. It's actually both. Um, you see examples where Paul had them because of the certain situations they gave when they came together on the first day of the week. And then you see other examples where he did not even give them those, those instructions. So it's a little bit different, but I wanted to use this as it's a simple... It's just a simple command or a simple option or thing that we do. So Paul's use on giving. If you actually read uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul gives some instructions on on, it's kind of a follow-up to to some instructions that he had given on giving to the Corinthian church. And he says and and he uses a back and forth to to quote, using the the Old Testament to actually use as, as his example. And we'll look at this. So Paul quotes exec, uh, Exodus 16, 18 on sharing of resources, and, and he uses the example of uh, when they went out to gather manna, some would gather a whole bunch, and others would not gather as much, but in the end, everyone ended up with the same. And, and so he uses that as an example. He says, but when, the, Exodus 16, when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who had gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who had only gathered a little had enough. Each family had just what is needed. And so he quotes that in 2 Corinthians 8.15. As the scripture says, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. He's talking about sharing of resources there. And then he talks about how they'll they'll be blessed, right? Blessing the righteous person. And he quotes Psalms 112.9 in 2 Corinthians 9.9. So Psalms 112.9 says, They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. In 2 Corinthians nine, 9 he quotes and says, as the scripture says, They shall freely uh, and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. And so this is an interesting thing that, that, that Paul continues to go back to. If you actually look at Psalms 112, it is a mirror of Psalms 111. But 111, Psalms 111 is describing God. And, and the heart and, and, and the generosity of God. And then Psalms 112 talks about mirroring or being that example. And so whenever you see a lot of Paul's writing, every time, or not say every time, but most of the time, he will go back to trying to find the heart of God. And then finally he says, without a grudging heart, and he uses uh, Deuteronomy 15.10 as a reference here. It's not a quotation. For, uh, for 2 Corinthians 9-7. In Deuteronomy 15-10, it says, Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. In 2 Corinthians 9-7, says, You must decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, or God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul all, uses the Old Testament on a regular basis to, to, to bring forward his points to the new, to the church. And so my example there is, it's, it, it would be good for us to do the same. It would be good for us to, a lot of times we don't study and learn the Old Testament the way we learn the New Testament. And, and I understand some of that sometimes, but it, I think it would help us out a whole lot more if we became just as fluent in the Old Testament as we did the New Testament. And, and you'll see why. And then Paul's pointing to Jesus. So when, when Paul is making a point... To the churches here, he always goes back to Jesus. Always talking about pointing to Jesus and how, how Jesus would have done this or, or being like Jesus. So if we look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, where or 8, 8, and 9, where he's talking about this, he says, I'm not commanding you to do. So he wasn't commanding them to give in, in, this, in this, this section of Scripture. He says, I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. And, and, and in a sense, he's actually creating a, a spirit of uh, competition, right? Let's let's see who's uh, who can show the most uh, uh, genuine love here, right? He said, and then he but then he goes. He says, "You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he can make you rich." So why is he telling him to give? It's not a command. Why why should we give? To follow the example of Christ. And so you're going to see, and we'll go through this a a little bit more and and follow Paul's pattern here. Paul's pattern is to follow the activity of God, which finds its fullness in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. So my thought is, as, as we go through this and as we read and as we interpret Scripture, instead of trying to find that particular pattern that every single church had in the New Testament, because honestly... There, there's there's some inconsistency. There's not a solid, just set pattern that, that we can that we can come up with a lot of times. We should follow, I think, Paul's pattern as he wrote most of his, all of his letters as you look through it. And that's a theological interpretation. And a lot of people are like, well, that, that's what we do, right? The, this is, well, it's here. But theology, right, or theological interpretation of the Bible is what? The study of God. So when we come up with A lot of our doctrine, a lot of times is not the study, not to say we don't study God, but it's more of the study of what? God's long work, but a lot of times it's the study of the church, right? And so again, I'm not, I, I don't want this to come off as, you know, everything we're, we've taught and everything we believe, everything is, it's not. What I'm trying to show is, I think there's a better way sometimes to, to come up with, with the theology and how we approach things. And, and I think our history shows that. All right, I, I used that a little bit last week. As, and, and and everyone's history can, can prove that. I mean, it's not just art. I mean, we see that throughout the a lot of the churches. A lot of times we miss what God... The, the, the message of God because we've come up with our own little message sometimes in our laws and our and our and our our, our our traditions and, and those type of things and so what we got to make sure that we're doing is that we're studying what we're studying God but not studying God from Acts to Revelations but we're actually studying God from Genesis to Revelation and and a lot of times we miss that I mean a lot of times we miss the Gospels or the first four Gospels and so we need to look to who God is what God has done, and then in order to know what is required of us and how to practice that in God's mission. And I, and I think that you, you see that in, in, in Paul's writings and in how he writes. He's seeking, and everything Paul does, he's seeking the heart of God, the heart of Christ with the Christ message. And so I, I put in my, my notes here a little bit. Us as a church of Christ, we know the first thing. There is no, no one out there who could say, that the Church of Christ does not know and understand the first-century church, we were probably the fo- we were the, probably the foremost experts on the first-century church, and a lot of that has led to us knowing our Bible, right? Not so much like. <laughs> well, and, that, and that's where I'm going to get to. You know, we used to be known for knowing our Bible, and a lot of that was because what? What did we spend? Those of you who know, were kids and growing up in the church, what did we spend a, a ton of our time? Learning in our Bible classes to do. Memorize scripture, right? And again, that's not a bad thing, but I think sometimes we focus so much on memorizing it and knowing what it says that we didn't know God. We, we missed the message sometimes in it. Again, memorizing scripture is not bad. I'm not good at it. I, I really am not. I don't know why, but that's one of the things I struggle with It's like, I know what the Bible says. But I, I'm going to, like, get into that book, chapter, and verse sometimes. Is, I, it takes me a little while to, to look it up. I can't just speak it off the top of my head. I wish I could. So our methods, while they're not inherently bad, a lot of, I mean, like I said, this isn't inherently bad. I mean, a lot of people use these methods to interpret Scripture, and there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but it's not explicitly there. All right, sometimes they'll, they'll teach that, well, that we have to follow this method because the, the, the pattern methods in the Bible. Well, there's a lot of patterns in the Bible, right, and so a lot of the things we talk about, like the the five steps of salvation and the, and the five acts of worship, and the we've kind of turned the gospel into a checklist, and, and I think we miss the point sometimes when we do that. And again, those aren't bad things, right? We we see that there's five things around salvation that that's usually that we usually see when we go through. Go ahead. Well, actually, six. Yes. <laughs> yes. It started out as a five, and then we added that sixth one on later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We well, and we did that for a long time. We baptized people and just leave them sitting here, right, and go. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. So we added the sixth step to to keep on learning and teaching, right? Good.
1: Yes. Before he ever got to any of the rest that we teach, if we don't get people to count the cost and understand what is involved in being a Christian, they miss
0: it. I think that's one of our, our one big weakness we had. on that. I think you're right because a lot of times we we don't use a prosperity theology type thing, but we don't have let people really understand what the cost is of becoming a Christian. And we don't we don't teach that that first part. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Gonna. I'm going to talk about that a little bit next. Week. I think where you're going. I think I know where you're going. I'm going to talk about that a little bit next week, because we we've made well not just the cost side of it, but we you know we almost beat people to death with the five steps and the five acts and, the, and those type of things. And it honestly makes us lose, I think, sometimes that the, the, the gospel message, right? That, that message that's behind all that. And, and, and I'm going to talk about this next week. If, if I relate what you need to do back to a list of five or six steps, it's not going to probably sit in and, and, and grab you as much as, if I go back to Jesus, and what did Jesus do? And what example did He show? Yeah, we have our commands. And we you know, we see where Peter said to do this, but what did Jesus tell us to do? What did Jesus' example show us that we are supposed to do? And I think if you go back to that, and, and you you talk, you use that method of getting back to God's heart and message when it comes to talking to people about Christ, it's going to be it's going to resonate a whole lot more and going to hit the heart a whole lot more than than kind of hitting these five little steps we got to do over here. And again, I'm not I'm not trying to talk negative about this. I'm just saying that I think there's a better way. So let me get through this real quick because I, I want to finish this for next week. Luke 15. I, I'm going to apply ourselves a little bit of, uh, of Luke 15. We usually call this the story of the prodigal son. I'm going to call it the story of the older brother because I think sometimes we are the older brother in this story. And what I mean by that is if you look and read Luke 15, 28 through 30, he says, because I, but he became angry and was not willing to go in and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But, but when this son of yours, pay attention to that, Cain, who has devoured your wealth and prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf. I'm going to start for him, start there. Sometimes I wonder when we get to heaven. Obviously, we won't be. But I wonder sometimes if we weren't in heaven, if we'd be the older son. And say, don't ring that bell. <laughs> and say, well, look, we, we, we did this book, chapter, and verse all the time, and these people over here didn't. I wonder sometimes, because we're that way on earth sometimes, right? And he said, damn son, you have always been with me, all that is mine is yours, but we have to celebrate and rejoice. For the brother of yours was dead and has begun to life and was lost and was found. The older son did not know the heart of God or the heart of the Father in this message. And so my, my point in a lot of this is we need to be focusing on the heart of God, the heart of Christ, and looking at what they've done and their example for a lot of our stuff, that we do, and how we act and how we treat people, versus starting in an acts and trying to use that for everything. Again, I'm not saying we don't follow the example of the church. What I'm saying is, is I think if we we go back to the gospel message and what Jesus did, I think that is more important. And I think God talks about that. I talked about it last week when He says you've missed the more important things. So to sum all that up, we're going to look at that next week. Theological interpretation, studying God and applying that to what we do. I, I want I want to look at that and, and see. I don't know. Maybe you may go through that and be like Chad, you're crazy. This is this is not good. This is horrible. But I think if you look at it, how we go through these things, and I'm going to apply them to more of our more common things that we, we we focus on and use that, and we'll look at that next week. Thank you.